WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week, our guests are the uh, founder of new publisher Dauntless Stories and uh, the writer for one of its launch titles, Deadly Living, Marcus Jimenez, and uh, the writer of another one of those launch titles, Through the Shadows of Titans, Easton Daverna. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Uh, so uh, we'll start with the uh, the old icebreaker for first time guests. Uh, what are what are some of the first comics that you remember reading, uh, Marcus? We'll start with you. Perfect. Um, so my first ever comic book that I was gifted was uh, one of uh, Tim Drake's solo books uh, when he was Robin. Uh, since then, he's solidified as one of my favorite DC characters of all time, right next to Superman, which was the second book uh, that I was ever given. Um, and I think one of my favorite comic books of all time has to be Superman's Secret Identity. Those are great ones. Super, uh, Secret Identity is one of my favorite Superman stories as well. Um, I think one of the first, so I guess when I was growing up, I read a lot of the, um, the 90s X-Men mm-hmm. comics. Um, they were anytime, I, I never really read them in order or followed any continuity. I would just buy one when I went to the corner store mm-hmm. um, and saw them there. But I think the one, the one that sticks in my mind, I was young, probably way too young to be reading it or flipping through it was Batman the Cult. Um, I, don't, I must have been, I don't know, 11 or 12 when one of my sister's friend's fathers finished reading it and gave it to me because he knew I liked comics. And I think my mom was like, Oh, it's a Batman story. How bad can it be? Um, and if you've ever read it, it's like, it's, it's probably not for a, a kid that young probably shouldn't be reading it. Um, but I remember seeing like, wow, like that, it blew my mind. Um, and I don't know, I've just kind of been in awe and fascinated by comics uh, since I first opened that and my eyes like bulged out of my head. While I was looking at, at the, some of the, uh, the wild happenings of that book. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you gentlemen are, are definitely both in the right place, uh, especially my esteemed co-host is, is uh, num- number one Tim Drake fan uh, over here. So <laughs> I, I, my first issue of Batman as a, you know, buying it every month reader was two or three months after Tim was introduced. So I, I've, I, I grew up with Tim Drake. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. And I am the, a diehard bat, bat guy. Just oh, so, so nothing many. wrong with that. Nope. nope. <laughs> uh, Just so many good stories. Oh, yeah, and I had a similar experience. Only it was Killing Joke instead of Cult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's got that you know That's striking Joker cover, and you give it to a twelve-year-old, like, oh my right. god, <laughs> I did, I, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, your parents, yeah, you parents are like, oh, look, there's a, there's a clown on the cover. Look how fun this book is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you've watched Batman 89 a thousand times. I mean, there's right, right. any worse than that. <laughs> About that. Um, so, uh, I mean, we'll kind of go in and out, and both of you feel free to, to chime in as we go. But I'm, we're gonna, I'd like to start off with Marcus and talking a little bit about uh, Dauntless Stories. Um, so, where did the idea of launching Dauntless come from? Uh, excellent question. So I own a small freelance video company here in Massachusetts. 
And uh, when I was first starting that up, uh, the idea was always to start with that and branch into the stuff that we love, whether it's video games or comics. I was always more comic side of things. Um, so the kernel was always there, especially when I was younger. I used to think about creating universes, like my own DC universe, my own universe of characters, as we all do. And um, I would make zines and short stories that would post on Tumblr and all those kind of stuff. And eventually it grew and grew until this past year during, uh, uh, during COVID, I had started a pitch for the book Deadly Living that I was gonna send around to publishers. Uh, but as they were tightening ranks and not picking up as many stories, I was just like, I'm gonna end up kickstarting the book. I'm just gonna do it, see what happens. And uh, Easton was one of the first people that gave me a lot of tips uh, when I was launching the Kickstarter. And as I saw that there was an audience for the book and all these new creators, Easton himself, Frankie White, all these new creators are coming in through Kickstarter and publishing their own stories. I felt like that was a good time to jump into the stuff publishing game because, you know, you have all these new creators who have immense talent that in the next five to 10 years are going to be the next stars of the industry. And to recognize that talent early is something that I want to make sure that I follow to a T because I want to make sure these people have launching points. And that's where Donald's came from. The idea to uh, be brave enough to just tell the stories that may not be picked up by the traditional publisher and uh, for us to give them a voice to do so. Uh, your publishing plan is focusing on more graphic novels of different lengths and sizes uh, rather than the traditional floppy. Um, this is uh, probably a question you've gotten a lot uh, since American comics are so floppy centric, but why, where, why did you forego that the, the floppy model and go straight to the OGN? Uh, so one of my favorite series of all time is the black sad series um, comes in the European album, which is mm -hmm. what I like to call here in the United States, the graphic novella. Um, so we're aiming for that 48 to 96 page range, which is, you know, like a traditional novel, if you always aim for that 120 to 40 range, and then novellas in that 90 page range. So we were like, we want to create the perfect weekend read for somebody. It's a book that you can pick up on a Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, read all 64 pages in, like, in one sitting and feel that full story, feel like you, you go through a whole arc with these characters and really enjoy them in that short time span. Because I know there's that uh, all of us like a long-form series, a long-form story, but there's these new readers that are scared to jump into a longer story, whether it's a 144-page graphic novel or a series like Batman that's run for over 100 issues. It's like, where do you jump in at that point? And I think that's where Dauntless is finding this niche is like some people have ideas that aren't 12-issue maxi runs or anything like that. And it's this three to six issue uh, little corner of comics that you can tell a full story with these amazing characters and people can enjoy them whenever, wherever. Uh, your, your launch titles are fantasy and sci-fi books. Uh, are those the genres that you're sort of focusing on or do you plan to branch out into horror or crime, slice of life, maybe even the, the dreaded shared non-big two superhero stuff? Um, so... Uh, we are, we do have a focus on fantasy right now, fantasy and sci-fi. Um, it's the first books that we've gotten pitched and it's also the first books that we felt were the strongest to put out with our brand name as we're starting a new name. 
Um, we are branching out. Um, the, the next book that's being announced, uh, which it already was, it's uh, Judas Complex, which will be our next green light title that comes in July. Um, that one is by creators Sone M and uh, Dry Gomez. They're great, fantastic creators. Sone has written, uh, she's wrote a short film that kickstarted over $100,000 uh, this past, last month. And um, it's, it has stars Yoshi Shidoro, which is, you know, former Blue Power Ranger. And um, she's written video games, like she owns a video game company called um, uh, Perfect Garbage um, with, a, with a group of other people. And uh, Dry is an amazing concept artist that created multiple pieces that just look amazing. Um, so that book is coming. That's in the fantasy uh, PI kind of world. Uh, and then we have an unannounced book, um, which this will be the first time anyone's ever heard it, uh, coming out with on also on green lights another green light title that's coming out uh end of august september for our, our crowdfunding um it's going to be a book by frankie white and uh, a freaking collaborator of his and it's straight up horror and it's it's for those horror fans that love it and um it we, but our hope is to eventually branch out into stories whether it's you want to hear stories about spies superheroes all that kind of stuff you'll see a lot of that stuff for me and all these new people that we're trying to bring into the fold so that's three books up already and two more right there. Um, what is your ideal publishing schedule? Do you have something in mind for number of books per year? Or is it just sort of as, you know, the pitches come in, you're just going to sort of slot them in as, as needed? Uh, right now, our goal is to hit it like a, uh, like a traditional book publisher at slash movie studio where you pick your best three to six per year let the creators focus on those stories whether it takes them nine months whether it takes them a year to make that story that is our goal in the meantime we'll be launching um one shots and serials that will come out which um one shots obviously will be uh 15 to 30 page um floppies that will be short stories from people um new and legends in the industry like that um, serials is something that we're really proud of. Um, it, it's kind of like the Patreon comic. So every month you'll pay $1 and you'll get a six to 10 page comic right into your email box that you get to read. And it'll be a chapter by chapter story that at the end will be collected into a one shot or graphic novella for people who want to read it digitally and also buy it. So, uh, you guys launched your, your, your online store last week. Uh, as we're recording, um, you know, what was that day like for you? You know, we, we uh, a lot of like sort of obsessive compulsive browser refreshing, you know, uh, that kind of a thing. Uh, so first uh, we did a, uh, a website pre-order launch right at the beginning of April. Mm -hmm. And the feeling then was uh, pins and needles the whole way through, like nauseousness. I was terrified because uh, Dauntless, Easton's a very good friend of mine. He helps a lot. And we have a couple other people that are really great people to help out, but it's mostly a uh, two to three person crew that's doing everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and I'm, I'm, I would say I'm new to the field of comics. Uh, and it's just recently that I've started to kind of build a name for myself, uh, if I can say that. And so jumping out of the gate and launching a site that's, you know, 
uh, saying that we're trying to be the boldest stories in comics and, you know, and just in general, it kind of puts us in a spot where we want to, you know, um, are, say to ourselves, are we overextending? Are we promising too much? And I think on that day, uh, at the beginning of April and the day last week, um, we hit a, a, a goal that I was not expecting in sales and pre-orders. Um, we're in a handful of shots across the United States. Um, Pulp 716 will be carrying our books, a couple other shops around uh, the US, hopefully some international when we get that chance. Um, but there's really nothing like it. There's, there's certain things as a creator, like the first time you hold your first book in your hands, mm-hmm. um, the first time you, uh, you see your book in a store, there's absolutely no feeling like that. And even seeing the book on our digital store and it open and people responding has been amazing. Um, you know, apart from, yeah, obviously this is, this is a weird time and it's been a weird time and it will continue to be a weird time as we're figuring our way out of this weird time. But apart from, uh, interviews such as this and and social media, obviously, uh, how do you see yourself spreading the word about, uh, Dauntless, you know, um, theoretically there are cons going, there are going to be cons at the end of the year. You know, is that something that you, you see yourself, uh, you know, hit, going to a couple of, you know, tabling, uh, paneling, maybe doing whatever. Um, the ultimate goal is to panel. Hopefully I can have Easton, Frankie, all these people with me eventually. Uh, I think number one priority is safety. Um, uh, I am fully vaccinated, but it doesn't mean that, you know, everyone's going to be by that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hoping by next year I can hit as many cons as I can get to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm in, in the Boston area, so Boston Comic Con, Connecticut, DC, New York. We'll try to hit all of those. Um, but it's ultimately, yeah, exactly. Dauntless uh, book tour, world tour. Um, but mainly, it's been me going to shops and sitting in there for an hour, hour and a half, as customers come in and talking to the talking to the uh, the owners of the store, getting them excited about Dauntless, getting these new readers excited about Dauntless. And um, I think ultimately as a small publisher, that's the only way we're going to grow. Um, obviously we're doing direct, direct market distribution with our books. Uh, so that's directly to the shops, directly to the consumers. Um, and it would be a little bit easier to go through diamond. Uh, but our main focus is getting as much funds and support to our creators as we can. And we see that with a more direct sale, we can give back more to the creators, whether that's 40 to 50% rather than that average 20 to 25% of royalty rates back. So that's kind of our goal with Dauntless is, yes, it's less numbers right now, but it's better for our creators at the end goal. So as we mentioned in the intro, Marcus, you're writing one of the launch titles, Deadly Living. Um, Here's the solicitation copy uh, for those of you who aren't familiar. Uh, As a dark power looms over the human world, its fate is in the hands of a young woman and a secret group of magical guardians. Connie Powell always strived to escape the shadow of her father and be a better person than he could ever be. But when she is attacked and hunted by a powerful dark being, Connie reveals a dormant power that sets her down a new path. One that leads her directly to a group of magical guardians known as the Spectres. Now, with their help, 
She holds the power that could be the key to saving the world. Uh, you'll both get a chance to answer this one, uh, but Marcus, how did you recruit your uh, first creative team? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, hey, before, so, before you jump into that, I just wanted to yeah. say uh, real quick, uh, I was a big fan of Gavin Guidry on going to the chapel, so I'm, I'm glad to see that he's out here getting more work. Uh, I will fight for Gavin any day <laughs> of the week. He is one of the best artists you can possibly hire. Uh, he's great patron. The artist is amazing. Great in general. Um, so Gavin was the first one that I got on board with the team and, uh, me and Gavin talked back, I think it was early to mid 2019 about daily living. And it was a book that, um, him and I had, uh, talked for a while and we ended up pitching ideas back and forth. And then I was like, Hey, I want to work with you on a book here is a list of pitches that I have go through, pick the one you want and I'll pay you to, to make the book. So he had like, I think it was about five or six pitches in front of him. He picked deadly living. So I knew right off the bat that that was the story that we had to tell together. If, if that was the one that interested him, that's the one he's going to pour his heart and soul into. And that's the one we're going with. Um, so we did that. Um, I was working part-time at the time. So it was like half my paycheck was going to Gavin just to pay him to do the art i i it was around october 2019 where we drew what became our most famous pages of the book uh which was like the second opening scene of our of introducing the specters and um we, he just knocked those pages out of the park and uh him and addison are pretty close so it was really easy to rope addison into the book um and then from there it was just uh you know getting uh getting Hassan to edit the entire book. Uh, him and I went back and forth for months editing the script, like almost all the way up to the Kickstarter where we editing the full graphic novella script. And then Taylor came in and, and you know, made the book as pretty as he can with the, with the lettering. Um, and it was just together, we, it was just cohesive work environment and it was just great overall process. So, oh, so you had a, you had Haas uh, editing and not lettering. Is that, is that, yeah, Haas okay. was my editor. Because I saw Taylor and I saw I saw I saw Haas and I was like, "What, what are you hogging all the good indie letterers to yourself?" <laughs> I I wanted Haas to great indie letterer too <laughs> for one book. <laughs> um, I knew Taylor was going to knock the lettering out of the park. Haas would Hassan would have uh, knocked it out of the park too. Uh, but I'm a big fan of strip panel naked and uh, panel by panel. And seeing the editing work he does in that, I knew he was the one that I had to get to edit the book because he was going to push it as far as it could go in those 64 pages. And you could see it. And every email he sent back, it was like this long and it was just notes. And I was just like, I, I want all of it. Even if it hurts, I want all of it. And <laughs> I think the book's better for it at the end of the day. Dauntless was called to our attention by friend of the show and fellow Comics XF writer Mikey Z, who backed Deadly Living on Kickstarter. Uh, how was the Kickstarter experience for you? Uh, it is both uh, the biggest learning experience ever when it comes to comics uh, and also the most grueling month of your life. Because the entire time you are, and Easton can atone to this, having done several Kickstarters wow. himself. <laughs> mm -hmm. it is 
nonstop social media, nonstop sending emails, sending text messages, posting on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. LinkedIn, I even posted on LinkedIn. And it's just trying to get as many people to have eyes on this book itself to make it a reality. And I think that's where um, we got the idea for Greenlight from, where as much as I love Kickstarter, Kickstarter has its faults, where you have these amazing books that, you know, they get, they generate a lot of support, but at the end of it, you could have 150 people who want that book, but if it doesn't hit that end goal, all that money's gone. It's, it's an all or nothing kind of platform. And as much as that, you know, drives people to back the book, it's also very disheartening for people who don't reach that, that end goal. And you, you see a lot of books that end up faltering and not being made, which sucks because they're fantastic books. And who knows if they would get that support again, if they brought the book back again to Kickstarter at a lower price. Um, so we created this in-house crowdfunding platform called Greenlight, which Easton's book is on right now. And the idea is that the book's always going to be made. Uh, but the main focus of it is let's pay the creators an advancement that they deserve right off the bat. So they're not just waiting off royalties for the book on the back end. Um, it's also, let's get the book. Uh, let's, let's make the readers and the, what we call producers more a part of the process of making the book. So when you back a green light title, we actually have private discords set up for every title that's coming out. Um, Easton and the team will do live streams about Q and A's. They'll do a drawing with Jade. You'll, uh, Sean will even letter some pages with them so they, they can see how Sean letters the pages. Um, we'll post exclusive art that won't be posted to Twitter at all or in any social media at all. And the idea is like, let's make everyone a part of the getting our faster. And you know what? If the more money we raise, the more we can put into the book uh, production-wise and quality-wise. So where Kickstarter has its benefits, where it's the audience and crowdfunding, I think it's at a, some point we'll start doing comics of the service by, you know, this all or nothing platform because some people don't have the following that others do and it really hinders them in the process. That's something people like about Kickstarter too, I think is like that personal connection that you get with the creator and feeling like you're part of making that book happen. Right. Um, and so, but like you said, some, some of those, some of the things that like we're doing with Greenlight would be like super expensive tiers on a Kickstarter. And basically you get, you know, all this behind the scenes information or, you know, chances to chat with the creators and stuff just by pre-ordering the book early at a discounted price. Um, so, you know, I think Marcus had a really solid idea with that um, when he built that into the publishing model over at Thalmas. I definitely thought that was an interesting, uh, you know, uh, idea creating basically your own crowdfunding platform away from, you know, what's kind of been the the standard for the past few years. Um, mm. Do you have to metaphorically, of course, you know, yell louder when, when you're, you're crowdfunding on a different platform? Uh, you know, I, I think, and by that, I mean, you know, I think we've become used to, in, the, in the past five plus years to, you know, oh, X creators got a Kickstarter out. Okay. You know, we, we know how mm -hmm. this works. You know, you're, you're, you're starting from the ground up with this. And, and uh, you know, I, I definitely appreciate the idea that, you know, we want to create one where, 
you know, it's not dependent on, on making, making goal. It's, it's in, in some ways, it's even more of a direct market than, than the diamond system. Actually, in a lot of ways, it's more of a direct market, but uh, you know, how does that change the effort that you have to put into, to uh, marketing and, and sort of making sure that your messaging is getting out there? Um, Issa and I were just actually having a conversation about this right before this podcast. And you do have to yell louder. Um, mostly because it's a new platform. We're still working out the kinks. Um, and we're really trying to make it as uh, consumer friendly as possible. So it goes through our regular store. It collects all your information. Um, and no ma- like we say, no matter what the book is being made. Um, I think what the ch- most challenging part is is that is how much of a hold Kickstarter has on the indie crowdfunding platform. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, and this is something I was discussing with, with a couple of people, like consultants about Kickstarter uh, when I was getting mine ready, is that you, as a comic creator who is new and negotiating certain waters, you don't want to head to Indiegogo because of some of the... Um, you know what I mean? It's yes. some of the implications <laughs> that come with going to Indiegogo. Um, and Indiegogo has that uh, system where it's like, you don't have to reach your goal to, to receive the funds at the end. Those people who do believe in you will still get that, that product. But now in this world, it says those connotations connected to, to Indiegogo. Um, so you're kind of, as an indie creator, you're kind of forced to go to Kickstarter and, Sometimes you're just looking for like $2,000 to, to print your book. You're drawing it or your friend is drawing it, but you guys only have maybe a hundred followers or, or 300 followers on, on social media. That's not going to reach your, 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 you know, that intended audience you need to fund your book. Um, so that's where we're hoping Greenlight gets us. Eventually I would like to open Greenlight to the public and try to create like that kind of relationship Kickstarter has. Uh, I think the the hard part about it is us really figuring out the kinks and ecosystem that puts that there. But at the end of the day, it's all about helping individuals. And I think as our green light products grow um, and Dauntless grows, we will see people yelling for us essentially uh, or along with us. Mm-hmm. Um, we did, we talked about the, the cereals already. Um, you know, that, that's, that's interesting. Uh, that was interesting to me because it, it feels like it's blending quite a few different models. You know, there's, there's a little bit of, of Webtoon in there. There's, there's a little bit of TKO. There's even a little bit of, of DC's, you know, digital first comics uh, in terms of, of length and, and subscriptions and how they're presented and what have you. Um, how did you land on that mix for those? Uh, so uh, it actually came from a pitch from Sean. Uh, they uh, they pitched me a book uh, that was in the webtoons format, and I became so obsessed with it because uh, they and their part and their partner Sam, their friend Sam, um, run a very successful webtoons uh, book called Animal Heads. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, has over six hundred thousand viewers every week, and you know it's it's crazy. And um, they're pumping out, I think it's like two to three pages a week to post post on their webtoons so when you you know you bring it out that's like 12 pages for a book that you know it's all them making it it's all their funds all that kind of stuff 
uh, and they only get money from their Patreons or, pe or people who tip on Webtoons. Um, so we wanted to create this, this platform because mostly me, because I was really the one pushing for it because I think it's a great way to get new artists or new writers a chance to tell a long form story, but over several months where they can take in readers reactions without, without like, you know, writing out full 20, 24 page story back to back to back every month. Mm -hmm. And um, also it fits in our kind of our niche area that we're aiming for, which is that short form story. Um, because for example, uh, one of the first ones we have coming out, uh, I wrote and it's being drawn by Taylor Stoft with colors by Harry Saxon. Um, Taylor is a relatively new artist. He's been in the game for a couple of years, uh, but uh, this will, he's working on getting more publishers. Harry was on uh, Beggar Queen for Vault and a bunch of other books. Um, but our book's going to be five to seven pages every month. So you pay a dollar, which is uh, by the time we hit chapter four, you know, you're getting a 24 page comic book for four bucks. So it equals the same amount. The idea is spread it across a few months, really allow the talent to push and work on their pages as they go. Gives them a chance to get better each time as we're moving along the way. Um, as you, as you go forward and, and you're, sort of building in all this, the, you know, in-house crowdfunding and, and different models for graphic novellas versus serials and what have you, you know, are there publishers that you're looking to for best practices or, or is it just kind of, you know, a, a little, a little from everywhere? I think it's a little from everywhere. Uh, the big inspiration was TKO, uh, Z and, and the crew over there do a really good job at their binge reading style books. Mm -hmm. It's actually something we wanted to do. Um, with, with ours, what we were gonna do that split system where it's like three issues of Dead Living or the full graphic novella. Uh, but we kind of settled on the graphic novella because um, actually I'm gonna, I can pull one up in my hand right now. Um, we look at it. It's kind of, it's, it's thin, it's small, but it's, it's a great paper, it's great read. And it kind of, uh, I know you guys can't see it. Sorry, I just realized <laughs> we're on a podcast. <laughs> but um, it kind of, um, it, it feels good to have the whole story, just like I could slip it into my, into my backpack or whatever, mm -hmm. um, uh, or my pocket. And, uh, but we, we look at TKO, we look at what DC is doing. Um, I was a subscriber to DC's uh, subscription service for uh, the two years that it ran. And I think that was great. Like providing a one cost shop to read um, books every month was kind of cool. Um, Ultimately, we're, we're trying to do what we love, whether it's like you for the monthly subscription or you, do you prefer like reading and graphic novellas. Um, the one shots will feel more like the one shots and series will feel more like your traditional monthly book as you're getting them once a month or you're getting them every two to three months. Um, but really, it's just like, what do we want to see in the market and how do we put it out there? And that's what we're really doing with it. Uh, Deadly Living was was a done in one. It's, you know, beginning, middle, and there was an end. Uh, but the world that you built felt more expansive than that. And there's definitely places you could go. Do you have other stories in this world lined up, or even if it's just in your head for the moment? Absolutely. So we'll have uh, one shots eventually coming out with different writers, other than myself, and different artists. Um, 
I'm currently planning um, the next graphic novella series set in that world with uh, writer and editor Brent Fisher. Um, and it's going to be very expansive. You're going to see all different parts. We're deadly living. Uh, book one explores like what we call an entry point, entry point city, where it's like you can come in from our ordinary world to the magical world. We're going to have books that are firmly set in the magical world. Like, what's that look like? What's that feel like when you're exploring a world that's formed by magic? Um, and then we're going to have stories that you know fit into other genres that exist in that world, like Black Skies, which is going to be our first serial that comes out that I'm doing with Taylor Stoff and Harry. Um, that's set in like a Batman Beyond-esque future version of that living. Like what's, what's the future look like where magic and technology coexist? Um, and then what's, we're going to do one, what's like, what's the most crime-ridden, what's Gotham City look like in the world of that living? So we're doing all those kind of stories. You're selling me on that one. <laughs> so uh easton i swear we're, we're getting to you uh but just one more thing before we get there I'm having a great time no worries i, I love it <laughs> uh can uh mark can you tell us a little about your other launch title starless daydream oh yes uh so starless daydream is a book that was written by frankie white and curated almost 30 comic book creators coming together to create what he calls the epic series finale to a, uh, an anime that never existed. And uh, it's his love for mech animes and for the mangas that came before. And um, it tells the story of the Ace uh, Ringer, which is like, you know, uh, the pilot for these drones, uh, uh, Fuku Basara. Uh, and it's like, he becomes so disillusioned with this whole military complex, like robotic civilization that he kind of just takes his mech which he calls big b and just takes off he's just like i'm gone i'm gonna live my life with my robot in space and visit planets um and because of that he's kind of stealing government property and um the government basically sends like all their most powerful uh mech fighters and rangers after him throughout space so it's, it's his adventures in space um i backed the book on kickstarter so uh, it was the first book that, besides my own, that we were like, okay, I think what we have to do as a publisher is some of these books only get such a limited run on Kickstarter that um, we want to try to take in as much as we can and allow people to have further per runs, like keep it in print for five to 10 years so that they're always getting that royalty check kind of thing. And Start of Stage Rooms had to be the first one. It's It's nothing like I've ever seen before with the 30 different creators all in one book like you flip through it you have leanna congas on one page then you're jumping to uh, minerva fox and a bunch of other creators just back to back to back and then you have colors throughout the book by ahg it's just like there's nothing like it on the market so we were like let's pick it up let's make it one of our debut titles uh frankie is a phenomenal person he actually for his cut of of every issue um and partially ours too uh, the funds will be donated to the Trevor Project. Um, and it's it's just amazing. It's it's one of the reasons I had to pick up the book. And when you just look at the cover by Artem, it's, uh, it's just something you got to see for yourself when you're holding it. It's just amazing. 
Um, you met, you mentioned Liana already, whom this podcast is firmly in the tank for. Uh, you know, look, looking through the credits, you know, there's also I'm seeing Danny Lore, I'm seeing Skylar Patrick, I'm seeing Sebastian Paris. You know, these are these are all people who are, are are you know up and coming, if not already, you know, blowing up. So you know, as launch titles go, you could do a lot worse. I will say that. Uh, tell me about it. Um, Frankie did an amazing job of curating some of the best new rising talent in comics right now. Um, I know Danny Laura was his editor for the book. And then you just see that talent, like you were just mentioning. And it's just like, it's no brainer to buy this book. It's, it's, it's there. That is, that is no joke thinking about how much work and project management goes into making a comic and forget about, you know, that's when there's, you know, three or four people involved in it. Forget about having, you know, 30 plus creators that you're, you know, trying to keep to a timeline and, and curate and have it make narrative cohesive sense. Um, it's just what a feat. I mean, honestly, it was, it was really cool seeing it come to life. It was a great pickup for Dauntless, I think. I, I don't know how Frankie did not go crazy making this book. <laughs> yeah. Just keeping track of everything. Ah, yeah. It's an experience. Okay, Easton, now it's your turn. Um, <laughs> Through the Shadows of Titans is post-apocalyptic fantasy. Uh, once more, uh, here's some solicitation copy, and I apologize in advance for possibly butchering any of the fantastical names. Um, <laughs> Go for it. The, the kingdom of Sephildris has been laid to waste by an apocalyptic blight, and now Leif and Hadria Siconia must flee the ruins of death and the ash in search of a new home for their two children. Though, to escape the wastes, they must first pass through the shadow of titans, colossal and mysterious beings of which nothing is known. And it will soon come to light whether the family's fate rests in their own hands or with these mystifying creatures. Uh, so what was the story of this book's journey to Dauntless? Well, first of all, you 100% uh, aced it. Every single uh, word and name. <laughs> Good for me. Uh, a plus. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think Marcus mentioned before that uh, he and I connected a little while ago. Um, yeah, maybe around a year now uh, when I was doing my A Guardian Kickstarter. He was doing um, Deadly Living. And we just kind of started talking about that. And we got in touch and, uh, you know, just stayed in touch with similar tastes in, in books, um, you know, kind of roll in the, the same crowd on, on Twitter, I guess. Um, and, uh, he was putting together, um, an anthology of something, something that is going to be coming to Dauntless at some point. And he asked me if I'd like to pitch to it. And I was like, this sounds amazing. This, I like the idea of this publisher. I would absolutely love to, uh, throw my hat in the ring for, a uh, for sort of a short story there. Um, and I threw, I had this idea kind of like germinating in my head for a while now. Uh, and it seemed like a good, a good place to use it. Um, well, first of all, I guess we can talk a little bit about the format of it. It's a, it's an illustrated novel or illustrated prose, however you want to call it. So it's, it's a blend, you know, it's not your traditional prose novel. It's not your traditional graphic novel. It's a little bit of both. Um, and Marcus was looking for, um, you know, different types of formats to go with Dauntless or in this anthology. Um, and honestly, I don't really remember how we got on the topic of, of make of it being an illustrated prose piece, but um, I don't know, maybe I told him that this was the idea I had for it originally and he loved it. 
Um, and he said that he would be more than happy to work with, with a, a piece like this. Um, and I pitched him the uh, idea for the short story and showed him uh, the beginning, you know, first couple of pages. And, uh, and luckily, he really liked it and asked if, if, if I would be able to expand upon it. Um, and I was like, would I? You know, uh, of course, like that, that would be amazing. Um, I, I have another book that it's a novel called The Runner, and that was initially going to be a 20-page short story, and it turned into a 120-page roundabout novel. Um, I have a tendency of just overriding or going, um, and luckily, uh, Marcus embraced that. Um, and so, yeah, he decided to, uh, you know, make the call that, you know, we'll, we'll turn this into, um, into a full illustrated novel. Um, you know, that's one of the things that I was really excited about. It, it's not, it's not a graphic novella, which is something that Dauntless is focusing on, but, you know, Marcus and the team, if they like an idea and they see a potential for a good story, they kind of don't really care what it looks like or what kind of format it is. So they're saying, you know, if it has legs, um, there are people in the comics world who, who will read it. You know, there are people in the prose world. Obviously there's a lot of overlap, um, you know, in, in those readers, um, or it can be something to help bridge, um, you know, a reader of traditional books who's maybe a little bit intimidated by comics or, you know, vice versa. And because it's got a little bit of both for, for those types of readers. Um, yeah, long story short, I pitched it to Marcus. He read it and liked it and said, uh, would you would you like to make this into a full book? And I jumped at the chance there. Thank you. Uh, I don't know. I hope you don't mind I jumping in. Uh, what he's saying is it's exactly right. And um, just to back up and fill in some a small gap here, what really pursue made me pursue it was actually uh, my girlfriend. It's uh, she very much enjoys the art of comics and she loves how it looks, but she can never really get over reading and in, in uh, balloons. She doesn't really like to read comics that way. Uh, but she's an avid prose reader. Like we read book. Uh, a novel a week together all the time and she uh really liked the idea of seeing comic comic art and prose together on the page and when i started reading i looked into it and started reading it i was like this is the book and so when easton started pitching this to me it was just like it, everything fell together like coincidence and it was just great um but i think what this book highlights and not to step into easton's time really quickly but it's that comics evolve nonstop. And I think you always hear in, in, you know, the Twitter sphere and comic sphere, comics are dying. Like, you know, even though we're having record sales this year and last year, over a billion dollars in comic sales. I think the only way comics continues, because I don't think it will ever die, is if we're allowed to evolve with it. So a book like Through the Shadows of Titans really speaks to me in the sense of another evolution in comics, where you don't have to be hindered to, you know, the bubbles and the narration panels where you, you can kind of mix this bit of prose within the story and people are going to read it. People are going to, you know what, you can even actually implement more story into your books by doing this. Like imagine hearing Batman's inner thoughts and reading it on the left and then you see him spring into action, like in the panel below and then the spread that follows. Like that's the kind of thing that we're aiming for with Through the Shadow of the Titans. It's a fantasy epic that's going to take place over over 150 to 200 pages with like 50 or so, 30 to 50 pages of comic art and panels spread throughout the book. 
So I think as long as we're allowed to grow and allow, and comics are allowed to grow, you'll see a lot of interesting stories like Easton that any other publisher would be foolish not to pick up. I think there are, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a unique format. There's not too much like that, but like some of the books that I've read that are similar in style, like AD After Death by Scott Snyder and Jeff Lemire. Um, and my favorite thing is Monsters, you know, some of these, these books that are, you know, they're not, they're not your traditional graphic novel, but they have these chunks of prose in them. You get a completely different perspective um, before you flip to like the, the, the more traditional comic pages. So, I mean, there, there certainly is a market for these types of books and we're starting to see them trickle in little by little. And, you know, when I first read AD, I was like, this is so cool. Like I've, I mean, I grew up reading comics and prose for a, for a long time. I switched um, to reading just traditional novels and I got back into them, into comics um, in college. And then when I saw that book blend the two of my favorite things to spend, you know, like my downtime with, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Um, and it, it was just, you know, I kind of was chomping at the bit to do a story like this um, after having done a couple of traditional graphic novels and comics um, I wanted to just get a little bit more into this sort of, uh, you know, scientific or experimental format um, of something that's not always done. It's, um, it's something new. Some people might look at it and say, you know, what exactly is this? Is this a, a picture book for adults? In a way, it is. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. Um, Jay John on art is absolutely incredible. Um, and Sean Daly, a collaborator of mine on I think I've wrote him into every, in some way or another, every single project I've ever done um, is doing letters and formatting. So uh, we're having a lot of fun so far and uh, looking forward to, to getting some more of it out there pretty soon. You organically answered most of my next few questions, which is marvelous. <laughs> um, uh, what is it about the, that post-apocalyptic, sort of setting to you makes for it as a good storytelling place to work from? Um, well, I have, um, I love the post-apocalyptic genre. I think um, it's, it, it's a really fascinating uh, um, world or sandbox to play in, you know, as a, as a writer or creator. And to me, like one of the things about it is it's never, in my opinion, what, what destroyed the world or what was the catalyst for that is never really the important part. Um, it's kind of how the people who survived it get on with the, uh, you know, their trauma or the new obstacles that they have to overcome that, that have arisen from this. Um, I think it's just a really, you know, it's a cool way to explore um, human nature, what people do in the face of, you know, untold uh, adversity. Um, and so I've, that novel I was just talking about, The Runner is a post-apocalyptic story. Um, I have a one-shot comic out with Sourcepoint Press that also is in that universe. Um, so this is not entirely post-apocalyptic. There is a bit of that. Um, it starts off with this all-consuming blight that destroys a kingdom that the family is from. And they survive it and then they have essentially become refugees and they're searching for a new home for their uh, two kids. Um, so that's, that's the catalyst. And, and it certainly is there in the whole story. It's something they can't get away from. 
Um, it's haunting them. It's impacting their lives physically. Um, and they're trying to make a new life for themselves. They're trying to deal with the circumstances of a, a world crushing them while raising and trying to keep two little kids alive. And, you know, I think I pull a little bit of my own fears of parenting from having my own two-year-old in, into that because, geez, it's terrifying um, raising a kid in, in this world sometimes. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I really answered your question there. But no, you absolutely did. I, I kind of went on one of those rambling tangents that we were talking about in the beginning. As we say, we're always good with those. Um, what are some of your, since you seem to be steeped in the genre, uh, what are some of your other favorite apocalyptic stories? Um, well, I have to say uh, The Road. Cormac McCarthy's The Road is one of the best books I've ever read. Um, and I think people who, who don't even, you know, who might not be into that genre or subgenre of post-apocalypse in general can pick it up and say, wow, like this is an incredible book about, you know, human nature and perseverance and again, fears of being a parent, things like that. Um, uh, I'm actually rereading I Am Legend again. Um, it's it's a it's just unbelievable. It's so good how before its time it was too. Um, there's this really uh, short story called um, uh, I think it's by the Waters of Babylon. Um, it is indeed. Yes, it's 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 an incredible story. It's like twelve pages long, and the amount that they uh, can get into those twelve pages, it's like you feel like you you you're done with it in you know half an hour or whatever, and you feel like you've read an epic novel. Um, it's it's wild, and like those those sort of stories, um, I just really uh, sort of always go back to. I think I've read The Road and I Am Legend, I don't know, three or four times at least. Uh, each now at this point. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking for, you know, any, any Mad Max Fury Road, although it's a movie to me that is, okay. is one, uh, one of the best examples of the genre um, ever. Um, so yeah, you know, I just kind of keep a, keep an eye out and go back to the classics that, uh, that always seem to resonate with me. As you're writing, what, comes to your mind as you're transitioning from a prose scene to a comic scene? Um, so, so the prose scenes, um, you'll see a lot of that is going to be um, some of the narration, some of the, you know, getting from point A to point B, some of the internal thoughts um, actually include internal uh, thoughts. I don't overdo it. Um, but enough to accent what's going on and really get inside the, the character's head in those. Um, and, you know, I think about Jade's art as well while I'm writing it because she, her style is incredible. Um, it's, her colors are amazing. She can do these sweeping landscapes, these very intimate moments um, and really amaz amazing action scenes. Um, if you saw the, the prologue, the storm sequence, um, you know, when I pitched it to her, she was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have a blast with this. I was afraid. I was like, I'm giving you like 24 panels for two pages that are right. And she was like, no, it's going to be awesome. Um, so a lot of the, the comics pages are going to be some, some of the more impactful uh, or, you know, hopefully emotionally resonating splash pages that you might see or some of the action sequences. 
Um, Hadria, one of the main characters, is an ex-soldier uh, for the kingdom that was destroyed. And so she is quite the badass and is going to have a, a couple of cool action scenes in there. Um, and I know that Jade's art can do a way better job of showing those scenes than my prose narration probably could. So I want to, uh, you know, sort of utilize those strengths of hers um, where I, I think, you know, the story will, will most benefit from them. I think what most, what he's saying right now is kind of what most appealed to me about this prose graphic novel-esque book is um, I think the best way I can describe it is having Jade's art is beautiful and it also allows your mind to picture these characters in a better way. So when you're reading these prose sections, um, your mind is the greatest cinematographer, director, actors in your head. It, you, you read a novel, a traditional novel, you're picturing these words, that you're, you're seeing these characters act out the emotions that are described on the page. So having this combination of, of beautiful artwork sporadically put throughout the book and also splashes at the same time reading Easton's world, words and picturing these characters emotionally um, acting to it. It's the main reason why, you know, adaptations are always really hard to, to pull off in movies and TV shows because it's like they're never going to live up to uh, what, what, you know, what any actor could do that your mind can do. So putting these two things together allows your mind to really work wonders uh, with your own imagination, uh, whether it's through the words or through the art on the page. Uh, the book has a release date of early 2022. Uh, how far along are you on it now? Uh, right now, first draft is, is done. Um, it's an editing uh, mode. So, you know, for which is always a grand old time. Like, uh, like Mark had said, even if it hurts, let me, let me have it. I'll kill my darlings if I have to. Um, so, you know, like you said, it's going to be around probably around 200 pages um, when it's all said and done. That's a blend of, of the prose and comics. Um, and, I yeah, we were actually just talking about timeline um, as well. We're going to be getting to the next chunk of art, uh, hopefully pretty soon, um, and just continue to move along and share some of those behind-the-scenes, um, you know, process with, uh, with the producers of, of the Greenlight. Uh, we're hoping to really start the art push at the end of the green light campaign, just to see where we end up. Um, but what differs with this kind of book versus your t traditional comic book process is uh, since the book is so heavily set on a manuscript rather than just your traditional script, it kind of, you really need to work hand in hand with the words and the, and, and the art that comes onto the page because you really want it all to blend together in a perfect you know, harmonious way. That's a little bit farther pushed than your traditional comic. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, when you pick up through the Shadows of Titans, you're going to see a book that's like beautifully crafted, and you know where every choice that's made, whether it's in Easton's words or the placement of Jade's art or the way Jade portrays uh, a splash page, it's really going to be unlike anything you've ever read before. So you said, I'm just curious. Uh when going through your uh, previous works online, I saw the inspiration for one of your Kickstarters, Samurai Grandpa, 
came when your wife called you that on a trip to her family's lake house in Pennsylvania. Uh, Dan just got back from his first post-vax trip, uh, which was to Hershey, PA. And I'm heading out okay. to Pennsylvania in a couple of weeks to visit my in-laws for Memorial Day. Um, have oh, you been nice. able to get away to a lake house in Pennsylvania since, you know, the dark times? TM, Lucas. Oh, uh, uh. <laughs> Uh, no, um, that lake house, unfortunately, uh, was sold a, a little while ago. Uh, I lived in New York for my whole life, um, but I moved down to North Carolina recently in the last uh, three years, I guess. Um, yeah, the, the lake house is up in, uh, I don't know, Ding, Dingman's Ferry. I don't know if you're familiar with, with that small, small town. Um, not, not too, it's about two hours from New York. Um, but uh i wish i wish that was it was so beautiful i loved it it was like the most relaxing retreat i got a lot of riding done when i went there it was it was a lot of fun but uh no i've just kind of been a house goblin for the for about the past year uh haven't really, <laughs> haven't really had any <laughs> yeah i haven't really had a lot of uh outings but uh hopefully soon uh we're we're fully vaccinated now as well and i think we're going to try and do uh, a beach trip later on the summer uh out in North Carolina. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, you know, when, when all is said and done, uh, what does success look like for Dauntless Stories? You know, what's something that if it happened for you by the end of the year, you could look back and say, we did it? Uh, for me, it's kind of up to a couple of things. Uh, self-sustaining always a big thing when you're launching a new company you want to make want to make sure the next book pays for the next book and you're making a little profit along the way um but i think what i want the most is for the name of dauntless to be synonymous with uh treating our creators the best that we possibly can be because you time time again you see creators get uh you know pushed aside especially artists uh when it comes to their work and i think putting them first, making sure they get the time to tell their stories, the time to uh, pay them as much as we can, really do everything we can to make their experience the best experience. I think having that, you know, that mentality in the minds of people when they think of Dauntless is my ultimate goal, along with, you know, making an eventual profit off the book. So uh, as we as we start to, uh, I would be for uh, oh, yeah, sure. for Marcus to uh, to just accept um, all of my future pitches to Dauntless. <laughs> my, my measure of success, no no uh, no pressure, Marcus. <laughs> it, it's okay. We we didn't get even talked about beyond the shadows. Oh no, we didn't. But but there is something coming that well maybe it's up to you, Marcus. We'll talk, we'll, talk we'll talk about it. Soon. Uh, okay. Well, you've yeah. definitely teased it enough, so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt there. No. That's okay. It's okay. People are here to hear you. They hear us all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but, but they're also here to hear about something else. Uh, let, let's, let's get into uh, what I assume but don't actually know is a fan favorite segment of our show. Uh, Pet Corner. Marcus, uh, you mentioned off mic that there's a cat. Tell us about there's this two. cat. There's oh, two cats. cats. Oh, yeah. Two cats. Uh, their names are Sunny and Luna. Luna's currently sleeping on my foot. And then Sunny <laughs> is skulking around somewhere. Um, they are three and two. 
uh, Sunny is the younger one, but is the heaviest cat that you'll ever meet in your life. Doesn't look like it, but when I'm sleeping, he'll randomly sleep on my head, and it feels like there's a, an anvil on my head. Um, and he'll climb on you any chance he gets. Doesn't matter. You're sleeping. You're, you know, in the shower. He'll stand right next to you, just poking at you. He just, he just loves to be around you. Um, but yeah, the great cats. I also have a dog that lives with my parents, a small little one named Louis. Um, but yeah, I love them to death and couldn't ask for better pets. Right on. Any, any fuzzy friends floating around your place, Easton? Um, we had a, uh, we had a multi poo that, um, he was old. He lived a good life. He, he, uh, had to be put down a little, a couple months ago, um, maybe halfway into the, into the COVID times, but, um, he will be missed. Now I spend most of my time trying to potty train a toddler chasing a naked baby around the house. <laughs> so that was trying to get, trying to get sorted uh, before I jumped on with Marcus before, before we got on with you guys. Uh, you know, at that age, they're, they are like, they're like human pets. <laughs> it, yeah, it really is. <laughs> you have pets that, uh, that, that give you a real run for your money. That's for sure. They make you sleep good at night. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> Um, where, what are you gentlemen reading right now? Oh, uh, I just picked up the new Reckless book from uh, Brubaker and the mm-hmm. Phillips. Uh, so very excited to get into that. Uh, I think my favorite series out is Once in Future uh, by Gillian and Mora and Bonneville. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just combines my love of Arthurian lore with, you know, the craziness that can come from any Gillian book. Uh, Easton, oh, how about you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, sure. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I have, I kind of have a problem when it comes to reading. I just start something and I finish it when I finish it and something else will catch my attention and I'll jump over there. But uh, three things that I'm working on right now. Um, one is, one is a, a fantasy novel called, Best Served Cold by Joe Abercrombie. Um, he's a really, really good uh, fantasy writer. Big influence of mine right now. Mm-hmm. Um, ton of fun. He does like a dark humor, sort of gritty world. Um, not not at all like, um, you know, your Lord of the Rings escort like Dragonland stuff. It's, it's, it's wild. It's bloody. It's funny in a weird way. Um, I'm reading the comic uh, adaptation of Slaughterhouse-Five. Um, Mm-hmm. Which, which is unbelievable how, how good it is. Uh, I was a little bit, you know, I went in with a little bit of a cocked eyebrow, you know, seeing uh, Vonnegut's one of my favorite writers. I was like, you know, this looks beautiful. You know, I hope they do it justice. Um, and it, it's blowing me away. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, it's really, really well done. Um, and I'm reading uh, Kino's Journey, which is a, a manga. Um, it's about a um, young traveler and uh, a talking uh, motorcycle companion. And they just go from country to country, sort of meeting people. It's, it's got, you know, a little bit of action. It's got more about, um, it's more of like a, a look at how people live in different countries and cultures, different philosophies, you know, something that might be so shocking to someone else is a way of life for other people. And it's, you know, how do you, sort of parse through that and, and deal with it. It's, it's really well done. There's an anime out of it too. Uh, it's, it's an incredibly beautiful book though. The art is stunning. 
um, it's a fun, it's a fun read. So those, those are the three things that are on my nightstand right now. Yeah. What are you guys reading? Uh, I just picked up, or actually I got for my birthday, I should say. Uh, I started reading uh, Stan Lee, uh, True Believer, the uh, Abe Reisman, uh Stan Lee mm-hmm. book. And, uh, you know, I, I've read a lot, especially in the last few years on that, on that, you know, sort of classic Marvel period, you know, Marvel Comics, The Untold Story. I read Tom Scioli's Jack Kirby biography. Um, I've read Mark Avenier's Kirby book. And th- this is just, I'm only like a hundred or so, like, I'm like a third of the way in. And it, it's, it's some of the most depressing takes on uh, <laughs> the house of ideas. <laughs> and I know wow. it goes right up to the end of Stan's life. So it's only getting, this is like oh, the wow. only wow. of, of uh, <laughs> comics uh, nonfiction. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that kind of stuff is super interesting though. I, that sounds like something I would love to pick up. It sounds, yeah. Uh, I probably would, I would just, yeah. I'm obsessed with that comic history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I too am w- sitting on uh, uh, Friend of the Devil, the Brubaker Phillips, the new Reckless, that I just, I, I have not read it yet because I want to be able to sit down and just spend a day with it. But I have much reading to do for various pieces. I, this will be this will have been released by the time this podcast goes up so i can say uh tomorrow i'm interviewing jeff smith so oh, okay. i just spent the weekend i've read bone multiple times but i spent the weekend doing a reread of razzle from beginning to end because it's <laughs> so just to have all of that in my head awesome. and uh yeah oh and i also at the same time i got friend of the devil i also got the new barry windsor smith monsters the his cover so I'm, I've got that waiting in the wings as well on top of my usual stacks of floppies and such. And if you haven't, speaking of, you talked about uh, Dan Mora before Marcus, uh, he and uh, Mariko Tamaki, Tamaki are hitting it out of the park on Detective right now. I, have, I haven't picked up Detective in probably like three years. It so <laughs> is, I mean, I write the co-write the comics xf weekly batman roundup and i i, I have i i like what james tiny and oscar jimenez are doing uh, they're doing on batman but detective marika tamaki and dan mora on detective are just chef's kiss right now <laughs> real good stuff all right you sold me uh if i can sell you on a book and there's not a, besides the dauntless books it's uh <laughs> it's uh uh, by Ibrahim Mustafa. He actually did the cover for our hardcover version of Dead and Living. Uh, he has a book, a graphic novel out with uh, humanoids. Um, that's coming run by Mark Wade and everything like that. He's a, I think he's like the editor or publisher over there. Uh, it's called Count. And it's a sci-fi reinterpretation of uh, the Count of Monte Cristo. And uh, he drew the entire book, wrote the entire book. It's, I think it's like 120, 140 pages. And just look at the art um, and you'll buy it. I'm telling you, Ibrahim is amazing. Uh, he's worked really- on, he, he worked on DC's Mother Panic. He did Savage Things for Vertigo. Um, he did James Bond Origins. It's fantastic creator. Uh, good Twitter friend of mine for years now. And um I would not. I would be remiss if I didn't plug that book. It's so good. Adding it to the list. 
Well, well, that's a good plug, but it's also, uh, you know, uh, final question. Uh, let's make sure we plug Dauntless one last time. How can people follow uh, everything that you guys have going on? Uh, Twitter is the best place to find us. We're on there all the time. Uh, you can put us at Dauntless Stories, uh, two S's there, or you can go to dauntlessstories.com. That one has three S's in the middle. And you'll find all of our new updates. You'll see new books. And make sure to check out our Greenlight page. I was going to say, do a Dauntless sticker with, you know, don't forget the three S's. I think uh, something something that comes up a lot. Yeah. (laughs) How many S's? Okay, three. Got it. Uh, Me, I'm usually um, floating around on Twitter uh, now and again if if my baby decides to take a nap. Um, Just at my name, at Easton Daverna. Um, or, um, sometimes on Instagram, but mostly there, I just post pictures of like my garden and backyard and stuff. So more, more of uh, books and comics. I'll, t- I'll, I'll definitely w- always happy to chat and connect with anyone uh, over on Twitter. Um, or my website is just my name. Um, but yeah, usually that's where I do most of my connecting. All right, Marcus Easton, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Really appreciate you having us. Thank Thank you very much. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, meaning you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Chris's on Infinite Earths, and a ton of great comics criticism at comicsxf.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at comicsxf.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash WMQComics where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. A $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail for my collection. A $3 donation gets you a slot in the Comics XF staff picks. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco for Marvel's Spider-Woman series, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, that one time Pete Wisdom stopped a vampire invasion from the moon. WMQA.